Thank you for all your comments about last week's post-election podcast. Since the podcast aired, there have actually been many developments in the determination of the Trump administration, especially his cabinet members. And this includes the selection of Myrony Bell, a climate change denier with strong ties to chemical and oil industries, as the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. Of course, in the most non-biased way possible, we'll keep you updated on decisions that could affect the lives of families with autism. But in the meantime, I'm taking the advice of David Mandel and following the mission of Autism Science Foundation by becoming more determined to ensure that science has a strong voice. So we are back to science-based podcasts this week. As you may remember, I had a biomarkers podcast scheduled, and then I postponed it. And then later this week, a very important paper came out about biomarkers, which will specifically help people with autism get the treatment they need. So this is a somewhat modified version of all that. As a background, despite what is known about the strong biological basis for autism spectrum disorders, it's still defined by behavior, the presence of social communication impairments, and the presence of restricted and repetitive behaviors. A formal evaluation and diagnosis involves clinical observation and parent report of behavior both in the past and in the present. Treatment progress is measured via observed and reported changes in behavior. Even the complexity of the differences across the spectrum is determined by differences in behavioral features and symptoms. In part, this is one of the reasons why there are not more effective intervention strategies. There are no established and validated ways to measure improvement through a biological way. There's an insufficient understanding of how different people with autism function on a biological level, which is slow progress on understanding the different symptoms of autism and how they can be treated biologically. Finally, the lack of a biological diagnostic tool for autism means that unless clinicians are trained to pick up on the signs, wait lists will remain long and act as an obstacle for early intervention. Therefore, scientists are dedicated to understanding the biomarkers or biological markers that can help each of these challenges. So biomarkers are objectively measured indicators of the presence of autism spectrum disorder or individual features and skills within a person with autism. They can include blood-based assays like DNA and proteins, markers of immune function, or more commonly understanding brain activity. One important goal of identifying biomarkers is to understand what symptoms should be treated and who responds to what treatments. If certain people with a certain biological feature, like certain brainwave activity, may be more or less responsive to a particular medication or behavioral intervention, then what would be offered was what would be most likely to work, rather than trying everything. Another important use of biomarkers is to understand how and why intervention is affecting autism behavior. Regulatory agencies are more accustomed to examining clinical trials where, in addition to a behavioral endpoint, there's a biological endpoint as well. Biomarkers of improvements for outcome for psychiatric illnesses, including autism and ADHD, schizophrenia, and bipolar depression, they've been really hard to identify, but researchers continue to approach this as a challenge to use more sophisticated tools and better designed studies. The most promising research in biological markers of the treatment response has tied change in brain activity with both short and long-term improvements in behavior. More and more studies are incorporating biological markers into treatment response of autism symptoms, not just to understand what causes the different behaviors, but to build treatments that focus on these behaviors. So this week, Pam Ventola, 
a assistant professor at Yale, through an ASF accelerator grant, published on a study where she explored what happens in the brain during pivotal response treatment. This is a behavior-based intervention for autism that is shown to be effective. So last year she showed that people who responded to an intervention had different brainwave patterns compared to those that didn't respond to that intervention. Well, that was interesting, but why was it important? Well, to predict who will respond to a treatment, she needed to conduct whether or not certain people have different brainwave patterns with that treatment. Last week, that line of research took a step forward. Her research group at Yale looked at boys and girls with autism with an average IQ and put them in a non-invasive, what's called a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine, an fMRI. This machine measures blood flow in different parts of the brain and it's non-invasive. Science and medicine have created a machine that does this. You just slide right in and it reads your brain activity patterns. So the kids are put into the machine and while they're in the machine, they're showed these things called a point of light tasks. And these point of lights are normally like a couple dozen lights that are arranged to make it look like they're two people. There's two people walking around. The two people who are illustrated through points of light can be non-social, they can be standing apart from each other, or they can interact socially. If you've ever tried to find the Big Dipper in the stars, you know what I mean, trying to put the points of light together to make a shape. I'm really horrible at astronomy, and I could not point out the North Star if it flashed North Star right in the sky, but I can tell you that I can easily tell what these dot images of people are doing. It's pretty remarkable. In any event, they looked at the blood flow in different brain regions and found that a specific pattern of blood flow in areas involved in interpreting the social situations of these images was better at predicting who would respond to this intervention compared to any sort of baseline behavioral data. So this was actually superior to what we have now to predict who's gonna to respond to PRT. This is big, so big, the lead of the study, Pam Ventola from Yale, agreed to discuss it with us. The big questions in my mind were, can this be used to help screen people who should get PRT or those who sh should not be getting PRT but something else? And also, if it has nothing to do with screening or determining who gets into treatment, why is it important? She responds here, and she talks not just about treatment response, but how this study shows that each person with autism is different in a biological way. So in terms of using fMRI as a means to screen for PRT responders, I don't think we're there yet. This study was definitely the first of its kind and had sufficient power to detect a result, but it still had a, a sample size of 20. So with that sample size, I, I would not yet recommend using this as a means to screen for PRT responders. I think we need a significantly larger study in order to use this as, as a clinical tool to screen for a potential treatment response. Now for parents, I think they should have an awareness that you know, researchers are looking for biomarkers of treatment response and we're definitely making progress. We're looking to predict outcome and develop more personalized treatments towards the goal of precision medicine for these children with autism where we can tailor treatment specific to the child based on the child's unique profile, based on the child's unique um, 
brain-based activation patterns or brain signatures. We are making definite progress in that direction. It's certainly our longer-term goal, and this work was the first step along that path, but certainly not the last step along that path. The other point that I think is important for parents is one that parents can, I'm sure, already tell us as researchers all about, and that the heterogeneity in autism and how all the children are different. And as autism researcher, I absolutely know that. I appreciate that. I see that in my day-to-day work with these children. But we haven't been able to determine the like and measure these markers of the heterogeneity and at the brain level with this paper we were able to say that there's differences in the brain activation and the differences in how these children are responding to social information and those differences one exist and two predict how the children are going to respond to PRT. And I think that's that's very critical information and for parents to know we're making progress along this path towards precision medicine. Now you guys have a better idea of why you should get excited when you hear the word biomarker. It's not just about predicting response to a particular treatment, but it also helps understand why each person with autism is different. Part of that personalized medicine approach that I talked about with genetic markers and oxytocin predicting who would respond to oxytocin. Here you have brainwave patterns predicting who's going to respond to a well-established behavioral intervention. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week.